Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. Everybody say amen. Let's turn to the word of the Lord. Joshua chapter number two. Amen. Joshua chapter number two. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number nine today. First message here, the new year. Amen. Just it just feels just good to come to know that you're starting a new calendar year. Feel like there's a fresh slate. Amen. To take your imagination upon and just start anew and afresh. Amen. But it doesn't just take a new year. The scripture said that his mercies are new every day. So we could actually approach each day just as a new year. Amen. With the Lord. Joshua 2 and verse number 9. The scripture states these words. It says, and she, and let me preface here where we're at. Uh, Rahab is speaking to a couple of spies that Joshua has sent into the land of Canaan. On the second time that they've come to enter into Canaan. The Bible says, and she, so that's Rahab, said unto the men, that's the two spies, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us, that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Shihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Amen. This morning, I'd like to to entitle this, uh, this today. If you knew then what I know now, if you knew then what I know now. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I come to you this morning. God, we're grateful, Lord, for your presence that we have already felt today, Lord, through the songs, Lord, and those that have, God, come to an altar of prayer. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, that you would just continue, God, in that vein today. God, we need your presence. We need your spirit, God, in this house today. Anoint my mind and my lips, God, to be able to speak, Lord, adequate words. Lord, this morning, God, that you'll get the glory and the praise, God, for whatever takes place in this house. We'll thank Thank you and we'll praise you in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. If you knew then what I know now, we have all had episodes in our lives that we would have acted or reacted a little differently if there was just a, a portion of knowledge uh, we had to begin with rather than after the fact. There are times that we would refrain from saying some words if we just had a little further information than what we had begun with. Uh, for instance, an individual that, and this is very improper at any time, but to ask a woman if, if, when she is due when you think that she's pregnant. 
And when to find out later that maybe she has some disease that causes her to carry weight in that region, you would not have said or asked the question if you had known then what you know now. As a matter of fact, New Testament scripture says that the princes of this world would not have crucified him, speaking of Lord Jesus Christ, had they had known that he was the king of glory. And so we have all been guilty to some degree at times that we would have done something differently or would not have done something if we had a little bit more knowledge if a little sliver of information was granted unto us that we did not have formally it would have totally changed the way that we approached some things or how we handled some things or even how we may have handled ourselves and our conduct this is not the first time spies in the scripture that had been spent been sent into Canaan 40 years earlier, according to the word of God, under the leadership of Moses, 12 spies were sent into Canaan by the instruction of Jehovah. But now at this moment, instead of 12 spies, two spies have been sent under the leadership of Joshua, who consequently was one of the original 12 spies, which was formerly sent into the land. And the mantra had remained unchanged from that time until this time and unchallenged and that was this the Lord God has given us this land that was the promise then and that was the promise now the call was that the people should go forward and that they should possess it Joshua being there then and being here now probably stood in that familiar area in that familiar territory and perhaps even reminisced and remembered the task of having been one of the spies to go into the land, the generation of the earlier generation that went in to seek it out and search it out. He would reminisce about the orders that had been given them. They were very plain and they were very simple. The orders were these, see what the land is like. See if it's fertile or see if it's not. See if there's cities or villages in the land. See whether or not those cities or villages are fortified or whether or not they are unwalled. Come back and tell us. Is it a rich land? Is it a lush land? Or is it a poor land, a barren desert? Bring back some sample of the crops, whatever is blooming and whatever, whatever is being harvested at that time. Bring back some sample of the crops so we can get a good handle on what type of land this was. Secondly, they would go forth as they were commanded and see what are the people like in the land. Come back and report to us, are they a strong people or are they a weak people? Are they many or are they few? Tell us about the land and tell us about the people. Moses even describes in Deuteronomy that this wasn't a 40-day tour throughout the land in order to determine if they could take the land, but rather it was just a tour throughout the land to gather intel, to gather information, to gather some knowledge about the land. It was a tour to discover the best route of entry into the land of Canaan. Out of all the ways that they could enter, they were trying to seek out the best way that they could enter the land. It gave them a knowledge to decide which cities should be the first cities to be captured, or at least which cities would be the first cities that they would meet. And as all 12 spies in that former day came back, 
Their reports were harmonious. They all agreed whenever they said the land as they gave the report is a fertile land. It's a land both all said, a land of milk and honey. It's a wonderful land. It's a magnificent land. It's indeed a good land, a land that we should desire, a land that we should want to inhabit. Two men presented on one pole, one cluster of grapes hanging in between two of them. And there it was a testament to the goodness of the land. Just one look at that cluster of grapes on that single pole was enough to convince the people that it was a good land. Other fruits, they brought pomegranates and figs bearing the goodness and the greatness and the production and the fertility of the land. It was a rich land. They reported concerning the cities and the towns. The towns are large. They're huge. They're fortified. The people, just as they were asked, the people are powerful. They're strong. The land is filled as it seems with warriors and with fighters. They're powerfully built. There are men of great stature in that land. The giants of Anakim are in that land. And folks, every one of those descriptions, they were absolutely true. And that was exactly the type of information they were supposed to bring back to Moses and have included in their report. And had they stopped there, perhaps all would have been well. Had they stopped with what was asked of them, perhaps they had went on and entered into the land. But 10 of the spies overstepped their place in Numbers 13, 31, when they said, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people. Wait a minute. It was never your job to determine whether or not you were able to go up against the people. Just in a moment of time, all the information they have gathered, everything that they had scoured and took, took in, there's something that began to happen in the hearts of 10 of those men. Fear struck the hearts of those 10 men. Amen. And as a result, fear struck the heart of the nation of Israel. The Bible even tells us in Numbers 13, 33, that those boys would say, we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Everybody say fear. Fear gripped the heart of the people in spite of God's call, in spite of God's promise to them, his clarion cry to go in and possess the land. I have it for you. It's there. It's yours. They were afraid. In spite of Joshua and in spite of Caleb, the two spies bearing a good report and a spirit that said we can take it, in spite of them telling them be not afraid, they were still scared and they were still afraid. Can someone say amen? There was a people then, a nation, that was intimidated by the numbers. They were intimidated by the size of the warriors. They were intimidated by the fortified cities. They were intimidated by the giants that were in the land. They were intimidated or afraid of a preconceived unknown, not knowing what was all over there, not knowing the uncharted waters they might have to advance toward. And they were asking themselves, no doubt, the question, will we be successful? Successful, like God said we could be successful. Will it turn out like God promised? Can we surely possess this land? Can we take it? Can we be victorious? Can we go forward? Folks, fear is a very debilitating factor then, and it's still a very debilitating factor now. One of the most de- 
debilitating emotions in the world is fear. Someone say fear. I learned from scripture that it was fear that kept Adam and Eve from the presence of God when they needed it the most. It was fear that kept 22,000 warriors from serving their post in the army of Gideon against the Moabites when Gideon was dependent upon them. It was fear that kept the armies of Israel cowering in the trenches every time Goliath came forth and taunted the Israelite armies. It was fear. It was fear that provoked a great prophet by the name of Elijah to request God, take my life. Kill me right now. There's no use in me living. It was fear. Him asking God of that because of the words of a solitary lady by the name of Jezebel. Someone say fear. Fear will cause you to second guess yourself. Fear will cause you to second guess yourself. Even when you prepared for the moment, it will undermine your faith. Fear will. Fear will undermine your faith whenever he who has called you faithful said, hey, this is gonna be so and this is how it's gonna happen. Fear will incarcerate you. Fear will immobilize you. Fear will terrorize you. Fear has kept some from trying because they feared failure. Fear has kept some from serving because they feared the unknown. Fear has closed the mouth of a many witnesses because they feared rejection. Fear has bound many in a rut because they said, hey, I'm inferior, I'm intimidated, I'm unable to escape. Fear has done that. Fear was Israel's enemy. Because of their fear, the Bible says, they had to turn back into the wilderness. They saw their adversary as fierce. They saw their adversary as a formidable foe. And that may have been the case, folks. But they presumed, listen to me here, they presumed that their adversary had a confidence that they could not match. They feared their adversary had a confidence they could not match. They were under the assumption that they were the only ones that were afraid. Someone say amen. And so that presumption along with their fear cost them a whole generation of people. 20 years old, the Bible says, and older over the next 40 years now are going to be losing their lives. 40 years, there's going to be funerals for 40 years and a whole generation is going to pass because the people were afraid and thought they were the only ones that were afraid. They presumed their enemy to be more confident than themselves. Folks, listen to me. To break this down so we can wrap our mind around the cost of fear and around the cost of assuming that your adversary is just, just as more confident, should I say, than you are. We know from Scripture that when the Israelites left Egypt, the Bible says there were about 600,000 men, or in the Hebrew, 600,000 warriors on foot besides children and evidently besides women. 600,000 when they left Egypt. If we take six. 600,000, just that number, and divide it by 40 years, that's, if, if all things were equal, that's 15 
8,000 funerals per year. That's 41 funerals a day. That's almost two deaths every hour. Almost two deaths every hour. In other words, it's quite possible that the second time of approaching Jordan, that there were some 40-year-olds approaching Jordan this time that had never known a day in their life when someone didn't die. Oh, someone say hallelujah. Joshua and Caleb, the only ones that were alive out of the old generation, had paid their respects to every person that had ever lived in their generation. Fear had done that. Overestimating the confidence and the assurance of their enemy helped accomplish that. The story of the 10 spies is simple. The Bible says those who were the 10 that said we cannot go up. The Bible says they were struck dead by the plague of the Lord meaning that they were somehow instantly killed. And so their story is this. Fearing that they would die by trying, left those dead without attempting. Uh For fear of thinking that they might die, they did die and never took the chance. See, Moses in the former generation stayed on the east side of the Jordan. While Joshua in the new generation went beyond the Jordan. Joshua was present in both generations. He was present in both instances. He's around about 90 years old now at this second time when he was only about 50. Whenever fear had prevented most of the nation from going over the Jordan River and seizing and conquering what God said they could seize and conquer. In some form the word possess is used about 20 times in the scripture of Joshua. The constant cry was to possess the land. To him in that generation that was approaching the Jordan it was constantly told to them be not afraid why because the generation before them had been afraid and so the constant cry is don't be afraid the promise of God is still true as it was for that generation so it is for this generation just as God said it's yours to your parents it's even yours you being their their children it's yours the Bible says in Numbers 14 31 it says but your little ones which he said should be prey speaking to the old generation them will I bring in and they shall know the land which ye have despised. So this morning, what made the difference now? Surely the land was still as good as it ever was. The people, no doubt, are probably still strong and mighty. The cities are still large. The towns are still fortified. Both groups still had the promise of God just like this generation did just the same as the last generation. So what made the difference? Was this new generation afraid? They must have been or wouldn't have been reassured do not be afraid. So what's the difference? Joshua sends the same number of spies into the land this time that had formerly came out a generation ago as being willing to possess the land. 
And the Bible says, as Rahab spoke back at Joshua 2, 9, and to the two spies, she says, an inhabitant of the enemy land says, I know the Lord hath given you this land. Your terror has fallen upon us. We thank because of you. In other words, there's something in just a lingering moment of spying out the land of those two spies that they learned that the previous generation had not learned. There was some information afforded them that the first generation did not glean some intel that they did not get. They knew everything about the people of the land. They knew everything about the cities of the land. They knew how they were fortified and the land was fertile. But they never heard about the attitude of the enemy. And Rahab was giving them some intel that the former generation did not have. And it was very invaluable to these two spies. What these two spies learned that the former generation did not know is that the enemy was afraid of them just as much as they were afraid of him. That the enemy was faint every time they mentioned the world, the word Israel. They were shaking, they were quaking, they were nervous. Someone say amen. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. See, they had some recent successes. They destroyed all the cities of the Amorites. The king of Shihon and the king of Og. It struck fear in the hearts of their enemies. They slaughtered all the inhabitants of the Amorites. They slaughtered all the cities and the towns of the dwellers of the land. And every time they did that, their enemy was afraid. Every time they did that, their enemy cowered somewhere because they knew the strength of Israel. Amen. And those cities, the Bible says, of all and Shihon, they were well fortified cities. They had big bars and big gates. And now the city that the enemy is living in, Jericho, has huge walls and some formidable gates. And they're about ready to go into the land. Someone say amen. But those recent battles, Brother Terry, those recent battles were some new ventures. They were some fresh victories. Everybody say fresh. Those were some fresh victories that were won by Israel. But note verse number 10, Sister McGee, if you can put it back up there. Those were some fresh victories. But Rahab reported to the spies that not just the recent victories affected the attitude or confidence of their enemy, <laughs> but there were some old victories I hope I can talk to somebody today. There were some old victories older than 40 years ago when they crossed the Red Sea that their enemy hadn't quite got over quite yet. Rahab was telling them not only what God has done through you recently has scared the adversary, but the adversary's been scared ever since you left Egypt, ever since you crossed over the Red Sea, ever since you trampled on dry ground across the Red Sea. The adversary has been afraid. He's been intimidated. He's felt inferior.
What are you saying then this morning, Brother McGee? I'm saying this, amen, as we start this new year and some of you look back on 2014 and you say, Brother McGee, I don't have no victory from 2014. I can rejoice over. I can't say there was a battle back in 2014, amen, that I took the upper hand and I feel a little bit down. I feel a little bit discouraged because I can't point back to that and say God gave me a victory here or there in 2014. I can't pull nothing of that like that out of my treasure chest about what God did for me or how I was personally victorious last year. But folks, don't you allow that to keep you from attempting something this new year. Don't allow fear to grip your heart of the unknown about your advancement in the kingdom this year. Someone say yes. Joshua told Israel, he told them in Joshua 3, he told them as they were about ready to cross over to Jericho, he said, listen here, he said, we're going somewhere you've never been before. You've not passed this way heretofore. It's his exact wording. He says, we're going somewhere you've never been before. And that's a, a great, great reason why some of us experience fear. It's whenever God is trying to take us somewhere. We've never been before. But folks, here's your consolation today. As much as you are fearful of crossing over Jordan, the enemy is fearful for you coming across Jordan. Just as fearful as you are stepping into unknown waters and unknown territory, Satan is afraid for you to step in that unknown water and that unknown territory. Possess it. Go ahead. It's yours. I don't have nothing. I don't have nothing. In, I don't have anything in my stash. I, I don't have anything within my hands to report. Of. I don't have no fresh victories I can parade. Amen about. That's all right. That's all right, sir. That's all right, ma'am. I, I would just say not every year in my life has been victorious. Not every year in my life have I had a trophy that I could present at the end of the year of some victory that I had. But I'm here to somehow support and comfort someone today. There's still some old victories in your life that your enemy hasn't shaken yet. There's still some dry riverbeds that you crossed over that he hasn't got over yet. There's still some five-year-old and ten-year-old miracles that the devil is still uneasy about that God accomplished in your life. He hasn't got over the simple fact that some of you have been born of the water of the Spirit and came from where you are and are at where you're at. Where you're at right now, you don't have anything to fear because the devil is afraid of you. <laughs> so in the audience of Rahab, those two spies gained some information. That information was simply this. Their enemy had been afraid of them just as much, if not more, than their parents had feared the enemy. For 40 some odd years, 
the same amount of time that they've been wandering aimlessly as it would seem in the wilderness. The enemy was just fearing the day they would cross over Jordan. <laughs> the Bible says in so much. Now the spies have learned this. But they're about ready to go back to their leader Joshua. Who was in the first company and in the second company now. They're about ready to go back to one who is a part of the first generation. The first party. And they're about ready to relay some news to him. They're about ready to bear their report as he had bore his own report. Some 40 years earlier. And the Bible says in Joshua 2, 23. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. Now, I can back up. Now, I can only imagine. Joshua, the land is a good land. It's a fertile land. It's a rich land. It's got good crops. It's a, indeed a good land, a magnificent land. We should go forth and we should inherit it. The cities are, the cities are fortified. They are greatly protected. The people of the land, they're strong. The people of the land, they're mighty. The people of the land, there's giants there. There's all these different things there. But in verse 24, when they have said all that, they said this, and they said unto Joshua, truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land. For even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. And I can't imagine for a moment Joshua just going back on his heels and pondering, my, 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 if they only knew now, if they only knew then what I know now, if my parents only knew that the whole time they were afraid of the adversary, the adversary was afraid of them. If they only knew that yes, they're great and yes, they're strong, but they're scaredy cats. If they had only known that, we would not been in the Israel in, in the land of the wilderness for 40 years. We'd not been sucking our thumbs. We'd not let our knees knock. We'd went up at once and had taken the land. I'm here today being a voice in the future for your life. Whatever you're fearing now, whatever adversary you're fearing now, rest assured he's just afraid of you as you are of him. Go on. Go on. Seize the land. God had plainly said that that new generation that's going to grow up, they're going to take their father's place. And I'm going to bring them into the land. I'm going to bring them into the land, whether they went to possess. He told them, God, told this new generation, he told them, he said, I'm going to cast out nations. As a matter of fact, he said, I'm going to cast out seven nations. And he even says this. He harmonizes with the report of all the spies. He says, I'm going to cast out seven nations. He says, they're going to be greater than you. They're going to be mightier than you. But just as a little added tidbit, they're just as afraid as you. See, Sister Sharon, if I just knew then what I know now, all I see is their power. All I see is their strength. All I see is their size. And that makes me think I can't do this. I can't go forward. I can't conquer. 
and I'm at a stalemate and I don't go anywhere and I tread the same ground and I just live the same life and I make no advancement. God said they're greater than me. They're mightier than me. But don't forget the footnote at the bottom of the page. They're just as afraid as you are. Wait a minute. That changes everything. I thought that I was the only one afraid in this mixing pot. But I learned that the enemy is just as afraid. I'm asking someone this morning, and perhaps it is the old uh, it's the old question that bears answering, amen, throughout time, and that is this. What in the world, what would you do? What would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? What you, would you attempt to do for the Lord in 2015 if you thought you couldn't fail, if there was no fear, if you wasn't afraid of stepping out? What would you do? What would you attempt? Where would you go? What would you try if you could not fail? Let me tell you, you need to go on and try. You need to go on and attempt because your adversary is afraid of you trying. The adversary is afraid of you attempting. The adversary is afraid of you taking your first step into that place called the unknown. See, when the children of Israel, look. So, the enemy's been afraid ever since they crossed the Red Sea. They heard of that. They knew of that. They're afraid. Folks, I want you to know that whenever this other generation attempted to cross over Jordan, they were stirring up some old unease in the spirit of the enemy. Because whenever they heard then that the children of Israel passed over the Jordan River into the area of Jericho, that was too similar and too familiar for the enemy because they remembered the former generation passing over the Red Sea on dry ground. And now a new generation is passing over the Jordan River on dry ground. The Living Bible states it like this in Joshua 5.1. It said when the nations west of the Jordan River, that's over in Jericho's region, heard that the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, their courage melted away completely and they were paralyzed with fear. They were immobile. They were paralyzed. They couldn't do anything. Why? Because a generation finally got in their mind, we're going to go somewhere where we've never been. We're going to cross something we never crossed over. We're going to endeavor to do something we've not done. And where they started to do it, fear struck the heart with a fresh vengeance of their enemy. Folks, if I just knew, if you just knew then what I know now. Now here's what the, listen to me, here's what the enemy learns with each new victory in your life. And they might not come every year, but they'll come eventually. Here's what the enemy learns with each new victory. Here's what the enemy learned with them crossing over the Jordan River. Number one, they learn that God has the same power. Uh-huh. But more importantly, number two, they learned he's the same God. No, no. What they learned when they crossed over Jordan was that the God of their parents that brought them out of 400, 430 years of bondage to a mount of God over a Red Sea brought manna from heaven, water from a flintstone. That God is the same God that this new generation has. It's the same God this new generation serves and he has the same power yesterday, today, forever. 
someone say hallelujah. Old things. James 2.19 says, Thou believest that there is one God? Thou dost well. The devil also believe and tremble. See, here's an old fact that still terrorizes the devil today. One God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you knew then what I know now. If you'd understand right now, the adversary that you're fearing already fears the God you're serving. If you knew right now that the thing that you're about ready to do is troubling your enemy because he knows that there's one God that has the same power that he's always had and that has and always will terrorize your adversary. And when you're called a child of God, that associates you with his greatest fear. So what are you saying? I'm saying this. Go ahead and teach that Bible study this year. Go ahead and start paying your tithes this year. Go ahead and attempt reading your Bible through this year. Go ahead and go deeper in your worship this year. Go ahead and invite those friends and relatives again this year. Are you afraid? Well, you're not alone. Your adversary is afraid too. Brother McGee, it's just trying to make some new headways, and I'm trying to I'm trying to break through some some walls and gates of the adversary. <clears throat> well, understand this: when you are penetrating the fortress of your enemy, don't just expect an open door invitation. Don't expect an unobstructed entrance. When you're endeavoring to do that. But just for comfort today, don't allow that to deter you either. The Bible says, Joshua 6 and 1, and this is the Living Bible, but it says it like this. It says, the gates of Jericho were kept tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelis. No one was allowed to go in or out. If you knew then what I know now, the barred gate that you're trying to penetrate of your adversary's door being closed and not being easily gone through wouldn't be denial to you. It would just simply underscore the fact they're afraid of me. Bishop, there's been some doors I've hit up against, it seems like. Amen. I don't know as a church even in the past seven years against the adversary. That's not denial. That's him being afraid of you or of us. You can stand with me this morning. The purpose of the Lord with the children of Israel and Egypt was that he might bring them out in order to bring them in to their promise. If that is his purpose, then folks, don't allow fear to paralyze you. And don't allow your assumption of the tenacity and the confidence of your enemy to stymie your progress or to halt your progress. Telling somebody today in this church and as a church that you just need to possess it. It is yours. It belongs to you. If you just knew then what I know now, the adversary is afraid of your 
advancements. That doesn't eradicate the fear that you may feel in your own life. But there is just a sense of help. You know, fear can cause you to do two things, they say. It'll either cause you, it's called fight or flight mode. It'll either cause you to tuck your tail and run, or it'll cause you to fight. And I think when we experience fear all alone by itself, sometimes we're more prone to flight. But whenever I have a sense, Brother Zach McGee, that he's just as afraid, it puts something in my spirit. It causes me to want to fight. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads in this place today. These altars are open. If there's a- Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.